You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. So just to get started uh, with a little bit of context, Jack and I are in a season of transition. We have two young adult kids. Our son, Jared, just turned 20 this month, and he moved to San Diego in May to begin working for my brother's business, uh, living on his own. He is getting to be around his little nephews, who are three and seven. They are darling, and he is loving it. I got to visit with him about two weeks ago to see him in his element, and just he has passion and vision. He is learning that business. He is so fired up. It is wonderful as a parent to see your kids pursuing something that they are excited about. And while I was down there, besides getting to spend some sweet time with Jared, is I attended a pastor's conference and pastors from all over the world were there um, just talking. And what I was so struck by, I think sometimes when you're in ministry, you, you need to go to those just to hear and be filled up. And so it was, it was a wonderful, encouraging time. God confirming a lot of what he wanted to pour out even here today. Um, probably a lot of it was just for me, uh, but it was, it was sweet. And they were super excited. And there's something about hearing what God is doing in the church worldwide to cause the church to be the hope of the world that is pretty exciting. And I'm surrounded by all these people. A lot of them were of the younger generation, really. And they're loud and they're crazy and they're jumping up and down. And it was cool. I was the quietest one in the room. I know you're laughing like you, that would be weird, but, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was so exciting and contagious, and I think we forget sometimes that idea that, you know, when we meet Jesus, we don't go from bad to good. We go from dead in our spirit to alive, and I'm telling you, this world, even more than a fearless church that boldly proclaims the gospel, needs an alive church. They need to speak to the disengagement and the discouragement and the distraction of a dead and hurting world. So I was so fired up and fueled by that, and I thought, I mean, they're making a lot of noise. So seriously, I cannot be standing up here amening all by myself this morning. <laughs> if you guys want to, you have permission to be vocal, because here's the other part, speaking of noise, our daughter is not here today <laughs> because we moved her down to her dorm room at Stanislaus State yesterday. She would be right here, man. Amen, mom. She'd be loud. I'd be like, that's a podcast voice because they're going to hear that. On the... Anyway, she always, you know, teases me, but she's so, she's so vocal. So I'm going to miss that. Okay, so you have permission. All right. Anyway, we moved her down to, uh, she's going to study and play soccer down at Stanislaus. And it was just, again, a sweet day, um, but a day of transition. You know, we are launching our kids. And so many here have loved our children and prepared them and, and poured into them. And we are very, very grateful for this body um, at Sun Grove. So I would like to start, amen, sister. I would like to start and pray for our time and because of the verse I'm going to reference, I am not going to close my eyes and look down. I am going to open my eyes and look up. You may do whatever you want, but I'm going to pray for us now. Lord God, I thank you that your word is alive and active. And I thank you that you are able in your spirit to meet the needs of every single person in this room. Thank you, Jesus, that you are able to minister specifically. I pray that your word would go out and each person would receive it right where they're sitting and agree with the truth of it and be transformed by it. And I pray, God, that every single person 
would leave today with something they did not have when they walked in here. Only you, God, knows what that, what that is, and I am asking because your word says you will complete the purposes you have set out for in your word. I am asking in the one name that has power to do that, as only you can do, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as Matt mentioned, we did have that Man Cave series in June, and, and it was great because we took this cultural idea of the man cave, and, and kind of the stereotype is that, you know, you're, you're overwhelmed with the world, and so you, you disconnect and go and hide and, you know, futz and do hobby things or whatever, but to, to sort of avoid relationship or avoid dealing with what's actually um, happening. That, that's kind of the stereotype of it. And he wanted to redeem that and say, no, we don't, we don't disengage. We don't, we don't run away from stuff. We go, if we're going to withdraw, we go to be alone with God. God, because God is able to equip us in a way, God is able to minister in a way, heal stuff, so that we can engage the battle. We can fight for what is the priority. We can be healed in a way to walk forward in healthy relationship. And so I love that he spent time, obviously not just for men, but the word of God is true for all of us. But that was kind of the idea. And so we had some fun as we were thinking of a, a similar ser series, and do not go on Pinterest and Google women's equivalent to a man cave. It's disturbing, actually. So I didn't do that, but we, we, this idea of me time, I think we can all relate. There were those commercials for a while for Southwest Airlines. You know, they have this scenario where someone's frantic or whatever, and you pause right in the middle, and you just, in front of the boss, broke the thing, and it's like, need to get away, right? Southwest Airlines. For those of us who are <clears throat> over 40, we probably remember Calgon, take me away, right? So that idea of me time is what we're going to try to redeem today. But we're going to have a little fun first, because I think God is the author of fun, and so we're going to... Um, we're going to watch on screen and have a little fun. So maybe you can identify with some of these scenarios, and these would be like, yes, I need to get away. I need to have nobody needing to, you know, eat off my plate. I need nobody to need me. I need to answer not one more, you know, what's that, or whatever the scenario is. That, that would be why we would want to uh, get away. So maybe you identify with some of these. So the first one is, if going to the gym or the bathroom is your only alone time, yes. You see women like, you've been at the gym for like three hours. Oh, I know, I'm super athletic. Oh, no, they have small kids that are in the, right? <laughs> On to you, people. It was, it was totally me. Amen. Okay, how about this one? Maybe there's a power struggle raging in your home, and it looks like this. How is potty training an improvement on our current arrangement? <laughs> kids are smart. Think about it. Like, why would I, I could just stand here? Anyway. How about attitudes raging in your home or workplace? Come on. So I whooped you at Mario Kart. Come at me, bro. <laughs> it's a problem when it's your four-year-old doing it, but maybe you've got coworkers that are like that. I don't know. Are you weary? I, th I think one of God's greatest things, the nap. I don't know whether to take a nap or cry about being tired. <laughs> Trust me, do not spend any time crying about being tired. Take a nap. Take a nap. I love that picture. All right, if you're a student, you're going to love this one. Look closely. Are you an expert, expert napper? Expert napper. Okay, now if I'm a teacher, 
I can't see totally well that far. Like, I'd be like, that guy is so totally tuned in. Look at that. Do you see? That is commitment. Level pro. Awesome. How about this one? If your idea of quiet time with Jesus is when the kids are going to bed. Thank you, Lord. It's bedtime. They are bathed, sleep, quiet. Amen. So hopefully you can relate, right? We all have these things that, no, we're having some fun with it, but there's heavy, heavy burdens too. And I think one of the lies of our culture is that if I just get away and there's more of me, me time, that that will help. Now, honest with myself, I'm limited. I'm confused a lot of the times. I'm physically tired. My heart is, I, I don't need more of that in my head. So we are going to instead look at Psalm 121 and begin to shift our focus to where we can actually find help. So let's look there. Psalm 121, right kind of in the middle. All right, and I'll read it, and then we'll look at just the first two, two verses today. This was written by David. Could have been he was fleeing for his life. Could have just been on his journey. But, you know, if you don't know any of his story, read about David. Hard time. So he penned this in that time. He said, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. I like to put my name in there if I'm praying this for myself or a friend. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Awesome. Awesome picture of our God of protection, provision, and help. One of the things I love about God's word, he speaks in pictures, which honestly encourages my heart so much because I hear in pictures. I think I'm the only one, like God, I'm his favorite because he speaks in pictures and I hear in pictures. We're like, the problem is he gives me a picture in my head. It's like, dude, it takes a thousand words. I can't, I can't explain that. Yeah, I just have to see it. And so if, as you're reading scripture, you don't see what God is trying to tell you, keep at it. Keep digging. He will. He will bring it to life. And when he does and he begins to connect the dots of what he's really like, not what I thought he was like, that is when it gets exciting. I heard a guy recently at the conference, actually, he said this. He said, if there is something that you are facing that seems too big, too overwhelming, too scary, you fill in the blank. Too, there's something you're facing that's too what? It is possible there is something you do not know and understand about the magnitude of God yet. Right? He wants to meet that need. He can meet every need. So if I am worried and I'm still in my own head, there's something I don't yet know about God that he wants to meet that need. He wants to give you a picture of how big he is. One of the things this summer, my daughter and I took some intentional time just because we knew she was going to be leaving, and we drove to Yosemite for a day trip. 
And um, as we were, we were going, you know, I was super excited. It had been a while since I've been there. But man, if you want to experience rest and perspective, go to somewhere where stuff is huge. So we're driving in, driving into the valley, and you, know, you get that first up-close glimpse, not the one from the freeway coming in, the first up-close glimpse of El Cap and Half Dome ahead of you, and everything is green. So I don't even think they have a drought there in Yosemite. It's amazing. And so just ah, ah, granite, huge granite walls, and it's breathtaking. And so she was super excited and pulled out her phone. She was about to get a picture, and I saw her. She just kind of dropped it, and she goes, I can't fit that in the frame. And it's true. And we go to Yosemite, and I think we think, oh, if I, if I just, if I buy the coffee table book, I mean, that, it's, at least it's a bigger picture. You can kind of see, and it tells the story, and, and, and I get a little more sense of how awesome this place is. There's no way you can fit that 3D thing on a postcard. There's no way. And worse is if I'm just trying to describe to somebody, they've never been there. So they're, 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 really tall, they're big, there's like gray, they're huge, you know, it, no, now it's hearsay. They're not even encouraged by that. You got to go. I've been um, up to the top of Half Dome twice. Jack and I did it for our 15th anniversary. It was, and I remember you get to the top and you walk for like, you know, seven days, and then there's, you know, it's like uphill backwards, and you're, no, it's, it's not really totally like that, but I remember the time feeling, I don't remember it being this long. I don't remember it being this steep, and we get to the top, and you come up over you're like 8,000 feet in the air or whatever. You come up over the top of the granite of Half Dome, and I remember automatically thinking of the song, God of Wonders. And I would not sing it for you, because that would not be a blessing, but the idea was, oh, clouds are lower than we are. There's like, you have to look down to see the eagles flying. It was awesome. You've got to take time to experience something like that yourself to know awesome. That would not have been the same if someone Snapchatted from the top and wrote awesome on the picture. Not the same thing. God is the same. His word is the same. He doesn't fit in the frame. This reveals God, but who God really is, you got to walk the road. You got to trip on the stuff that's actually there. You got to, you know, look up and experience him and and see lightning and almost get struck by it maybe and and you got to do the journey you have to go and see and experience for yourself if you wait and just let people tell you what God's kind of like and even if it's really passionate it's hearsay it's got to be your own experience with God which is my prayer and thankfully God has been so merciful that he's done that you know, in my life, it's just different things, and it's been a lot of different ways he's taught me. But I will tell you, I grew up in church, going to church. I knew the stories. I knew who God was. It did not become personal until I was in college. And I received him. I responded to him. I wasn't going along like it was a part of my culture and heritage. I made a decision. I chose. And then my identity changed. And then my name changed. I was now the redeemed of the Lord. I was a Christ follower, not just a church goer. And then for the last almost three decades, he's had to school my heart and get all the stuff out of my head that I thought I knew. 
because I'd heard about it. Here's what this verse would have looked like in my theology, my limited finite thinking shaped by Sarah's experience growing up. It would have read something like this. I look to myself. Where does my help come from? I make it happen. I strive after it. I've got a lot of energy. I can do it. I know people. I can talk a good game. I'm a great arguer. I'll tell God about it later. I'll ask him to bless my plans. That's what it would have looked like. And over time, God used for good everything. Our marriage for 23 years, hard, two people, sinners, struggling and you know, preparing for this word, God's word, my words, and my words, wow. You know, having to repent and like reconcile and he uses it all. He forges character. He builds fruit of the Spirit in us. Having children, we don't have control. We have influence. It took me forever to figure that out. Because when they're little, you can make them. And then they're like, don't want to. I do it myself, which is awesome until they're like 30 and still saying that. Mm, God's all, I want to shape that out of you right? They need parents at that point, but then they begin to blossom, and then we coach, and we encourage, and we influence. It's taken so long for this verse to now read, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I'll take it a step further, because here's what God showed me. I thought, okay, why the hills? Why do you look to the mountains? It's funny, Hollywood I think God, it was God's idea first because they don't have anything original. If it was good or true, God thought of it first. So anyway, always, right, in the Western, where does the cavalry come from? Over the hill, right? That's where they come for rescue. How about you want to know the faithfulness of God you're waiting? Just watch to the east and the west when the sun rises and sets every single day without any help from me. The faithfulness of God shows up. Sometimes we think, oh, yeah, I look to the hills. If I just get on top of the mountain and have that awesome view and I can look over the valley of the shadow of death, at least it's not super close to me. I'm up higher. The perspective helps. True. Here's what God said to me. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? Not the hill. Sometimes we look up and the first thing we see, the thing in view, is now what we think is our help. That next job, that promotion, that relationship starting or being mended, that's my help. That phone call, if I just get from the specialist or the, you know, get the feedback, that's going to be my help. That next vacation, I'm just tired, that's going to be my help. My nap at 2 o'clock today, that's going to be my help. It will be helpful, but that is not eternal help. That is not the kind of help he's talking about. So then God had to say, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He called the hills out of the ground. He's holding the hills up still, scripture says. He created it. He's sustaining it. That's the God. And I want a clear picture of that God because if I do not understand that God, my life will not reflect how big he is and worse, my life will not be able to communicate hope to all the people around me who are still looking down. Think about how many people looking down do not know there is a God of the universe who made them. 
There is a God of the universe who put his identity in them. He loves them. He wants relationship with them. And because of sin and rebellion, they're shaking their little dust fist at God. Don't know he's already paid the way to reconcile his creation to him. They need us to tell them if we know that truth. So God to have a clear picture of who God is. And that's what, that is what God began to impress on my heart in preparation for today. We need to foundationally know God's word and what God's word reflects about God himself. So I look to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's look at John 1 so that we can see what it says about who God is. This is cool. John, if you're new to the Bible, is in the New Testament. He was a best friend of Jesus. This is an eyewitness account of Jesus. But we're in the New Testament, after all the Old Testament, and he is going to talk about what was true in the beginning. And here's what he said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, the Word, all things were made. Say, all things. And without him, without the Word, nothing was made. Say, no thing. Nothing was made that has been made. In him, the Word was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then you jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right there in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word is the life of the world. The Word is the light of the world. The Word became Emmanuel, God with us. That's Jesus. So I'm like, what does Genesis say? So then I went back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. I like to put a period there. I know he didn't, but I liked that for a sec. I was like, in the beginning, God. God, the word, Jesus. Jesus was there. See, I always thought it was just like, you know, one of, one of the persons of God. God, Father God created everything. Wow, wait a sec. More than just God the Father there in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's everything, seen and unseen. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Who do you know that is formless and empty and darkness is over their life? They have no spirit that's come to life. Genesis says, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. So in the first three verses of the beginning of the Bible, God the Father is there. Jesus who is the word, is there because God's going to speak. And then he says, let there be light, and it happens. So the light of the world appears, and the spirit is hovering over. 
If you, I, I don't know about you guys, I was blown away two years ago when I started reading through the whole of the Bible again. It's like, there were all three there. People have been walking around saying, no, no, there's no Trinity. No, it's kind of, no. That God is not the same as a God of people who have a little idol on a mantle or God, they just, oh, God is in it. God created nature. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are there in the beginning. That, if that is new to you, should magnify your idea of God. The mystery of that, I need to surrender my life and know a God I don't fully understand is the one I'm talking about. If I can explain him, hate to say it, my brain, he's not big enough. So I love this. So John 1 and Genesis 1 tells us some foundational things about God so when you, if you want to uh, jot down there, God's word is, and I, as I thought about this, I turned this outline in uh, earlier, but it would also say God, God himself, because God's word is Jesus. He's the word. He's the picture of the word of God, and these are the words. Anyway, God is holy. And I sat with that for a long time because here's the thing. In Scripture, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy is the description used more for God than any other attribute. It is also the one God uses for himself. That's a big deal. God's word, God himself is holy. And, I, and, and where I get that out of John 1 and Genesis is that in the beginning, God created the word and the word was with God and he was God. And then he became flesh. Why in the world would God leave heaven and come here to exchange his holiness, his righteousness for our sin? Except that the God of Genesis is a holy God and he is not the author of death or sin. That's going to come in Genesis 3, a little foreshadowing for another time. But think about it. A holy God whose creation reflects him, not the author of sin and death, needs a way to redeem his creation to himself. And he did that in the person of Jesus. So God is first and foremost holy. He, he is also eternal. Jesus says about himself, he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. God was and is and is to come. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I used to think about God being eternal and omnipresent. Like, if I pray today, he's here with me in Elk Grove. At the same time, he's all over the world. True, but that's my finite thinking. Eternal God is outside of my time and space. That's a limitation we experience. God doesn't. So God is at the same time at the creation of the world that he is in eternity. He's not bound by those things. So it's possible that when he chose to reveal Jesus at a specific time in history, that sacrifice which would pay for our sins actually was ordained. Read Colossians 1. Read Rome, uh, 1 Peter 1.20. It was ordained before the beginning of the world. He just picked a time in history to show us it. Total mind blown, but let me tell you what happened recently that brought this to light. God is eternal. He changed my mind about, or my understanding about him being omnipresent. 
when I was in San Diego, I was visiting, as I mentioned, my brother Scott. He's my youngest brother. He's an incredible man leading his family. He's the one with the two little boys. He's got his own business. He is, he's, he's well, I love him because we're both really, really talkative. I'm actually quieter around him too. So um, anyway, he, they have their own business and all of the, the struggle in that business, it is their livelihood, but they are so faithful to tithe. They are so faithful to sow back into the church. And so that is where a lot of the stress and attack comes and, you know, weird things with housing and permits. And, and sometimes it's discouraging. And so I was like, Scotty, I want to pray for you. Psalm 18 was on my heart. We sat down at his dining room table there and his wife was there and I began to pray Psalm 18 and I love Psalm 18. Over the years, God has used that Psalm to do battle on my behalf when people have prayed it for me. And I had in my mind as I was praying, I just, I kept doing this. It was like God was hedging him in on the sides and in front and behind and underneath and I was praying for God's protection over his life and his livelihood and his impact for the kingdom. And I said, amen. And Scott said, wow, Sarah, thank you so much. And that night, God reminded me of something that had happened to my brother 23 years ago, and he almost died. Scotty was coming home from college, and he was tired, and he was heading to my parents' house. And he fell asleep at the wheel, and he veered off the off-ramp and missed it and rolled his car and on the side of the road were those huge cement cylinders you know when they're putting in drainage or whatever they do in the freeway and they were lined up ready to do the construction he literally went right between two of them tumble tumble his car landed and I can't remember if he hit the tree or stopped short of a tree but his wristwatch smashed the driver's side window stopped at the time now, he was a volunteer with the fire department in, that, in Baton Rouge at the time. So when they showed up because they got the call, they see his car and they know who he is. They recognize his car and they thought there is no way somebody survived that. God reminded me of that story the night I prayed for my brother two weeks ago, Psalm 18. And I felt like he said to my heart, Sarah, I answered your prayer back then God is outside of time and space that fires me up for my prayer life do not stop praying for your children do not stop praying about that broken relationship do not stop praying about the things that God needs to redeem from our past because he might take our prayer today and answer it today but he might take our prayer today because he's outside of time and space and answer it in the future he might take that prayer today and answer it in the past what that is the God I pray to man I would have never thought of that that encourages my heart so much that's how he can redeem. Now I read scripture, I'm like, he talks about redeeming stuff all the time. Of course he can redeem your past. We're just a blip on this finite timeline. He's outside of all of that. That's how it's possible that Jesus died in human history here, but God did it over here, so it would already be paid for, and we would already have redemption of sin when we needed it. That is awesome, right? Awesome, God. So he is holy and he is eternal. And Romans 1.20 says, 
for since the creation of the world, so ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. His word reflects who he is. His creation reflects who he is. You and I are part of his creation, need to reflect who he is. Holy God, eternal God, powerful God, powerful God. In Genesis, picking up at verse 3, when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, he separated the light from the darkness. The darkness had not overcome it. That sounds familiar. And he called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and the morning the first day. Now, you can either study quantum physics, or you can take me at my word that right here in Scripture, God says what science is only now beginning to understand about light wave particles and whatever. God spoke right here. There's no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars. He doesn't gather that light to make those things until day four. This is the light of the world. And it's funny because I, my dad, when I was little, I would be reading and he'd always come in. It's like, the light's too dark, you know, the room's too dark. No, dad, I can read just fine. And he would say, let's put a little light on the subject. And he'd turn on the light. I don't know, maybe God just wanted to see the rest of creation roll out. I think Jesus showed up, light of the world. What are you doing? And he separated the light from the darkness. What an awesome picture if you are in darkness. The light of the world does that. He separates from darkness. And then God said in verse 6, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault, and he separated the water under the vault from the water above the vault, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning on the second day. The power of God that for the rest of the creation days, he speaks, and it is so, and it is good. He speaks, and it is so. And right here, he takes water, now check this out, I'm not, I got to see in physics, I don't get any of that stuff, but I do ma microwave stuff a lot. And so here's what happens. You take a glass bowl and you put soup or something liquid in it, you put saran wrap over it. I know, it's probably harmful. But for the illustration, here's the thing, you nuke it and then there's water particles, right? That saran wrap is not coming off the bowl because of the surface tension of the water around the thing. And so, you know, you either have to peel it off, or you can't just pop it off. There's something physics that happens. Some of y'all are figuring out, and I, I don't really care. I just know it's hard. And when I was a kid, we had a pool cover, and it was like custom made to our pool. It was little blue bubbles, and it was taped together, and it was the exact shape of our pool. And I'm telling you, if all the little neighborhood kids had gotten together, and we each got on one little edge and tried to lift that thing up, no way. The surface tension of the water, no way. The, the weight of that. Then I'm reading Genesis, and God's like, the earth is covered with water, and he speaks, and he lifts a layer of water off the entire earth, away from the layer of water that stays on the earth, leaves one here, puts one here, bam, sky. He's like, wow, 
that kind of power. I need that kind of power when I pray. I need that kind of power when I want to be separated from darkness or when God needs to do something awesome. So his word reflects his character. He is holy. He is eternal. He is powerful. And then it says God's word is good. God declares it himself. Everything he made was good. He said it. It was so and it was good. And with us, when he created us, it was very good. If God declares it very good, and you walk around thinking, I'm no good, or you are telling someone else, they're no good, whose voice is that? That is a lie from the pit, because God said, very good, very good, very good very good. And the rest of creation, all of it was good. That means no errors, no accidents. He surrounded you with all that is good to, to look at and to, to eat and people and all of it good. And we can't see the good because we're going to go after the thing that's not good. God is not the author of sin and death. So if you are calling what God said good, not good, what voice are you listening to? And this foundational truth is huge as we consider God is holy, God is eternal, God is powerful, God is good, and we are to reflect him that should influence my words. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says this. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. My words should reflect the creator. My words should not be agreeing with the author of sin and death and destruction. My God redeems those things. My God is good news. I don't know about you, but in school, you raise your hand. You know why you raise your hand? Teachers know. You raise your hand because you have a question. Someone earlier was like, because you have to go to the bathroom. Well, yeah, but because you have a question. You have a need. Sometimes when we're in worship and we raise our hand, it's because I got a question. I've got a need, and I am counting on those words I'm singing that God we're talking about to be true and an answer for that. That's my hope. That's my help. Otherwise, it's just me. I'm looking down. I'm like, look at the mess around me. It's so cluttered. Look at, I got, I got a question. I got a need. The other reason people raise their hands in class they know the answer. So when you're singing in worship and you are agreeing with the truth of that, your hand is up agreeing. That is the God of the answer. And we know that so that we can share it. And there are days, I don't know about you, I come in here, both hands are up. And you know why? Look at it. I got nothing. empty God before you in heaven and I'm here on earth I need who you are 
So my words need to point to the answer. Jesus, light of the world, life of the world, eternal God, creator of everything, sustainer of everything, and king, because he's coming back. And secondly, my words should pray with authority in Jesus' name. Jeremiah 31, 35 says, He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. My words, I should pray with authority in Jesus' name. I pray God's word when I don't have it because I know he will do what he's going to accomplish, what he has purposed from his word. I pray God's word often so it's not just my words. I pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, in the Spirit. If I'm over here just praying to some God, oh, they're all the same, and it's just words. There's no Jesus and Spirit involved. It's just words. It is not the power unto salvation. It is not the same thing. The cross is everything. If you are a Christ follower, you are set apart because our words should proclaim what is good and true. And God made everything, yes. And he loves everyone he made, yes. But the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and are separated from him. And unless we receive what God gave us to make a way, unless we receive that exchange, his holiness, his perfection, for my yucky sin heart attitude, dust fist, do it myself. Unless I receive that, I'm still lost to him. I'm loved by God. I'm created by God. But only the redeemed of the Lord can say so. The redeemed are the ones who've responded to Jesus. Think about it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The angels sing that. We will sing that with them in heaven. We can sing that now. But... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved me. I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Only the redeemed of the Lord can sing that. That's us. And there are a bunch of people who need to know that God has paid for their guilt of their sin. Guilt says you have done something wrong. The enemy shames us and says... You are something wrong. Jesus pays for our sin so that we do not have guilt. Paid for. Perfected. That's what the word says. And you are covered. There is no shame. That is a lie from the enemy. So my words should point to the answer Jesus, should pray with authority in his name, proclaim what is good and true, because one day he will come back for his forever family. And we, the redeemed of the Lord who have responded to him before, are about the business of going to make sure that the people all around us who are still lost to him know there's a God who loves you, there's a God who made you, there's a God who paid for you. You don't have to walk around in guilt and shame. Come to him. He's awesome. It's exciting. You might get kind of loud and kind of rowdy and be kind of weird to people looking around you. That's exciting stuff. And you know what, church? 
The world not only needs a fearless church that's going to speak to all the crummy stuff in the world right now, it needs an alive church that's going to offset the discouragement and the distraction and the death of this culture. We are the people alive, set apart, the redeemed of the Lord. And so you know what? If today you're thinking, I have never received Jesus, that first part where, where my sin is paid for, I want to invite you, just come. And maybe there's some people, we didn't arrange it, but there's some people willing to just stand up here and pray with you. You just pray something like, God, you're, you're the Savior, and, and here's my sin, and I receive that payment so I can be made new, a new creation we just agree with you on that, and you come to life. He takes the dead inside of you, and he puts his living spirit in you, and you are born again. And then maybe you just want to respond to God today out of your spirit because you came in with something, and you need to lay it down, or you came in without something, and you need to receive it. Use this time. Use this time. This is your chance to respond to God. Come. Come forward. If you need to receive Christ... If you want to just use the mats for prayer, you can do it in your chairs too, but sometimes, sometimes that hangs us up. It's the mountain we look at. Make it about you and God. Nobody else is looking honestly. We all got our own stuff, right? We look to Christ. Let's respond to him. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.